there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, friends. Welcome back to The Ripple Effect. I hope you guys are doing well. I hope you've had a great weekend and the week is starting in the right way. We're going to do something a little bit different in this podcast. I want to be able to sort of reflect and discuss stuff with you guys. So I wanted to kind of put a bit of a time, a period of time into the ripple effect that is just us, me and you, because I'm actually really excited about, despite having done a podcast for so long, other podcasts, this feels like like a new baby, if that makes sense. And you that doesn't make sense, does it? But you want I want to do right by it. And I'm excited by this medium. Now, you of course can watch me right now talking to you on Spotify. And you'll be able to watch my interview and chat and conversation with Sam Peoples from United Peoples TV talking about the Manchester United takeover and the ripple effects that that could have on the world of football. But I also want to be able to just talk to you guys. And I've been trying to find a way to to have that, you know, because that's the great thing about a podcast. Like you're listening to me right now and we spend a lot of time together. For those of you who listen and watch my YouTube channel, we spend a lot of time together. And the thing that's always really important to me is to have that conversation, that back and forth with you. So I don't know how we're going to do it in terms of are we going to utilize my socials or are we going to create a new ripple effect social account? I don't know. Maybe that's something you guys might like, but what I want to do is just have a chat with you each week. And so on a Sunday, make sure you're following me on Twitter because I will put out a tweet asking for your ripple effects and we will have a conversation. I want to talk to you. So that phrase of the ripple effect, I also want to think about what I'm talking about, what I'm feeling as well and get that across to you. So I'm going to start with a a word. I'm going to finish with a quote each week. Let's see if we can do this. If it becomes too much and you don't like it, then so be it. But what's really important to me as well is that freedom of trying new things, especially when you've got a new baby (laughs) like this. Like this is a new, it's kind of like diving into the medium of podcasting afresh. And again, I want to create that connection with you guys. And I'm not sure I've done it as of yet. So as we sort of grow the podcast together, this will allow for conversation, but experimentation as well, right? So I'm going to start with a word you guys will know from podcasts that I do, from interviews that I've done, that I often zone in on certain words. Uh, And the word this week, so the word of the week for this week, I think is contradiction. Also, this is a great one for you guys to, to tweet me if you think, of a certain word and you want us to sort of take that and explore it as well because certain words then have a ripple effect on me and 
I think it can, what I can do with this podcast is plant this word into your head and you can kind of go away and have a think about it, right? So contradiction is the word for this week. A combination of statements, ideas or features which are opposed to one another. One another. Another way of uh, defining it is a situation in which inconsistent elements are present. And finally, the statement of a position opposite to one already made. I think this is the word for the week, both in the ripple effects that I feel like I've created this week, this weekend, but also the big stories. Let's dive into some of those ripple effects. So first of all, me being a contradiction. <laughs> so you guys will understand this, right? Only you guys will understand this because I don't, I think there's a certain kind of fan that watches and listens to my stuff. So this will be that, right? So <laughs> how stupid and contradictory is this, right? So I'm on a stag do this weekend and actually I'm excited. I'd be able to talk to you about this next week. I'm going to uh, Cologne and I'm going to Dortmund. We're going to go watch Borussia Dortmund. I've never done that. and I'm so excited to do it. But because of that, I'm missing Mother's Day. And so my wife is having her first Mother's Day this weekend. And it's only right that we made a special weekend of it this week. And so I had to miss QPR Watford, which was heartbreaking. But also at the time, I was kind of thinking, maybe this is what <laughs> what the boys need. Because QPR are struggling. We hadn't won in 18, I think it was. And we're playing Watford, who've got a very uh, you know expensive squad, aren't in the best of form, but I've got a new manager in Chris Wilder who I'm a massive fan of. And so I'm thinking, do you know what? I'm okay with missing this one. Maybe I, I need to miss this one. Maybe I'm the problem here. Something has to change. And although I'm not there, maybe me not being there will be the end of this luck. Now, again, you guys who have listened and followed me for some time have put this sort of jinx on me. You're saying it's my fault. But what I find funny and contradictory, but what will make complete sense to you guys is I had it in my head that I, I think it's good that I'm missing this one because I think that's what we need. We need a new change. And I can, my bad luck that I'm clearly bringing to the club, I can step back from that. But you then, if you really want to go down that road, you're going to start going, okay, well, the ripple effect of that is that I need to stay away long term. That's not happening. No, <laughs> not on my watch uh, because look, I've spent money on a bloody season ticket and it's my team and I've got to go support my team. So what I would now do is go, well, look, that is it. It's done now. We've got past that and I can now return and hopefully watch us win a effing football match. But the important thing is that we won an effing football match. We beat Watford 1-0. Oh, I watched the last, we got back from being out all day and I watched the last 10 minutes and it was excruciating. But what I like about it, and I've had a few messages from Wickham fans, is that there is a hopefully the ripple effect of Gareth Ainsworth and his soft skills is an interesting one. Because I think when we talk about managers and we do so a lot, we talk about the skills and weaknesses. And I think he's being a bit shortchanged on his tactical elements. But in terms of his ability to galvanize the ripple effect of that on the fans and on the players is was noticeable and that is something that's really really enjoyable to see and coming back to that contradiction what is so funny isn't it that as football fans we are contradicting ourselves all the time and spinning it however we need to 
just to get through the next week and to find some positivity because that's all we have. And I was chatting to Tom Jordan, who is the uh, main man of uh, Back of the Net YouTube channel, uh, which is obviously a Bournemouth channel. And, you know, the contradiction of what is guaranteed in football and what occurs is amazing. And we'll get onto that ripple effect in just a second. Obviously, we have to talk about Gary Lineker's tweets and the ripple effect of that. Now, it looks like it's been solved. As I speak with you, Gary Lineker is to return to match of the day after BBC's suspension of him. And Tim Davey, the director general of the BBC, who was looking to kind of get this impartiality sorted out I think has gone down quite a clever little route here where he has announced that an independent review so the ripple effect of everything that's happened which of course for those of you listening in America obviously and you don't know the BBC but I imagine you will do the BBC has a flagship show called Match of the Day Gary Lineker an ex-England international has presented that for 24 years and after some tweets that he put out which the, the meaning of those has been kind of forgotten which is interesting And my quote of the week is kind of around this idea, but also the idea of contradicting uh, itself. He made some comments about a a policy that I uh, agree with in terms of not agree with the policy, but agree with his uh, disgust at it. The uh, illegal migration bill that's trying to be put through here in this country. And he refused to apologise. Now, with the BBC, there's a desire to be impartial and that is something that you kind of agree to. But because Gary Lineker is outside of the remits of news and politics, he feels that he can kind of say what he wants. And I think the ripple effect of that is hopefully a conversation aligned with this independent review where they can find out what's the right course of action because the BBC is very important to myself. Again, listeners from maybe America or other countries but in particular america springs to mind i always think that the uk kind of follows your your media and your sport and what i'm seeing what we see generally with the medium mediums that we choose to you know listen to or cl- have to click on you know you don't just buy a newspaper and you're fed whatever you're fed you're clicking on things now that's leading to us to being polar opposites and right wing or left wing and the bbc aims to stay in the middle and that is admirable and so essential so an independent review, ripple effect of that, you know, coming from these Gary Lineker tweets is, I think, smart, hopefully will find the truth and something that will probably uh, upset a lot. But I think will also be good for for the BBC and for the country as a whole, because we need to be able to trust our media. And but I also think with that, we need to allow people to be authentic, to trust what they're saying as well. He said, Tim Davies said, the director general of the BBC, everyone recognises that this has been a difficult period for staff. And again, so for those of you who don't know, there was a huge boycott on all of the programming when it came to sport from the staff uh, because they wanted to align with Gary Lineker. And as much the fact that he wanted that freedom of speech, but I think more importantly, what he was fighting for, which I think has been forgotten in all of this, disappointingly. And if you do look into this and him being on air or him not being on air, Let's remember what he was tweeting about and if he was right. But anyway, he said, uh, Davey said, I apologise for this, for the disruption of it all. Uh, The potential confusion caused by the grey areas of BBC social media guidance was introduced in 2020 is recognised. I want to get matters resolved and our sport content back on air. 
So that will be the ripple effect of that. I think there's also a ripple effect here in terms of how we're looking at match of the day, generationally, how that changes as well, which I think is interesting. It's interesting to see how like some people really do care for it. Some people think that anyone would kind of would watch it. Others disagree. So uh, Leo Tarid tweeted me, said, do we still need match of the day? Highlights are accessible for free at 5.30pm after the match in the same format as last night. And last time Gary Lineker kicked a football professionally, Noel Edmonds was still relevant. I, I, I think the relevancy of Gary Lineker is, is he providing value? So I disagree with that element of it. And I actually disagree with the, the need for match of the day. We need, the world is so disparate now. So we need communities. We need to create communities and we need an appointment to view. Those things are still important. And I think sport is one of the few things that cr allow us to still create that. And and I think the match of the day is, is so, so important. But I did a video on this. I think you're going to hemorrhage talent if they aren't allowed to have authenticity. And that is something that they need to be switched on about because I think the next set of pundits, because Gary Lynn can't do it forever, if they are so vanilla because they can't say anything, especially I think within sport, I think that could become a bit of a problem. That said, they, you have to adhere to the rules. So it's it's a very, very complex one with lots of ripple effects. But I think, I hope we're all thinking about the importance of the BBC and not turning our back on it. And it, I hope the BBC isn't a bad, is considered a bad thing anyone anymore because I think there is a desire. And I think the desire is the important thing with all of this. The desire to do the right thing. The desire that Gary Lineker was doing, you know, in terms of that, the responsibility that he has, I think he felt a responsibility to say something. And I, I think that's that's okay. And the desire to have empathy. So I think we should have empathy with the BBC personally because I think it's an amazing, uh, crucial part of our makeup. Here's a contradiction. Bournemouth beat Liverpool. Unbelievable. Squawker tweeted this. No team has lost a Premier League game 9-0 and then lost their next game against the same opponent. So Man United back in 1995. I think Andy Cole scored five goals in this one. Beat Ipswich 9-0. The next time they played each other, it was a one-all draw for Ipswich at home. Southampton, of course, are on the back of it twice. First of all, with Leicester City, who they then beat in the corresponding fixture 2-1. Man United then beat Southampton 9-0 and the, the two drew after that. And Liverpool, of course, earlier in the season beat Bournemouth 9-0 and then Bournemouth beat them 1-0 this weekend. Massive result for Bournemouth, which the ripple effect, I think, of that is new belief, right, for them. And I think the ripple effect here is that as managers, you know, when they're going, we want six, we want seven, we want eight. Whoa, now you've seen the ripple effect. It's there. Calm it down. Know when to stop scoring. So if you are a team that is capable of scoring nine goals, I think you need to call, you need to stop it at six. Because for you to win nine nil in a game and not to get six points from the two fixtures is has to be disappointing. And I think you're creating column inches, you're creating shock, and there is always a response. We've seen it. We can see it here with teams that are getting pumped nine nil. They're not losing the corresponding fixture. So there's a ripple effect from uh, an amazing result for Bournemouth and a very frustrating one for for Liverpool. Kara Wilson said Casemiro's red card will cause Man United to drop points. Tottenham will then move into third. So Tottenham are currently two points off Man United, but Man United have a game in hand. Conte, uh, but importantly here, I think actually there's another ripple effect, which is that not having Champions League football for Tottenham is that going to allow them to have Champions League football next year? 
and will the Europa League get in the way of both Man United and Arsenal? Because I was thinking about this, like, you know, Arsenal would probably be quite happy to be out of the Europa League. But actually, what's more, what's a more important ripple effect? The rest or the ability to have that momentum and confidence by winning and winning and winning and winning? Interesting one. I'd love to know which way you would go with that. Would you rather, you know, Sporting Lisbon make it through? Uh, but Because that puts all the eggs in that basket as well. And I know you want to put all the eggs in that basket, but momentum is a, is a interesting thing and confidence. And, you know, this is a team that has not won the league for a long, long time. Caro goes on to say that Tottenham are going to move to third. Conte will then keep his job for another year. Potter will go to coach somewhere else in Europe or a national team. And maybe the cycle will continue. I'd be really intrigued to see how Tottenham... Like, the Conte thing, it just doesn't work for me. It feels somehow, despite the way that he he celebrates goals, the, the pattern of play is just soulless to me. And I think a return to Poch, I think, would be a really, really smart move, personally. But if, you know, they finish third, which is a great season, isn't it, really? When you think at the start of the season, surely Conte will probably stick around because is there the next job for him? But there's often that cycle and implosion when it comes to Conte. Ollie said West Ham not sacking David Moyes and getting Dyche instead will be the difference between Everton staying up and West Ham. The Premier League table, especially down the bottom, is unbelievably tight. 12th place, Crystal Palace, 27 points. And then in 18th, you've got Bournemouth with 24 points. West Ham just above them, only on goal difference with 24 points. And Everton are now on 25 points. West Ham do have a game in hand. But yeah, the ripple effect of changing or not changing. And again, coming back to that idea of contradiction, I think is really funny here as well, because you've got West Ham who's sort of stuck with their manager. But could that be what stops them from going down? You know, the idea of doing the right thing. And when do you need that turbo boost or ripple effect of having that new manager? And have they waited a little bit too long? Generally, I want to kind of give managers that time. But he is now struggling to sort of to really get a tune out of these guys. But could you get someone better? I put a, p- a poll on Twitter and it was it was about 56 percent to West Ham. Uh, sorry, to David Moyes being out um, instead of being in. So that it's going to be interesting to see if the fact that, yeah, they weren't able to get Sean Dyche because he was already taken by Everton and he's structurally really sort of taken them on a on notch. That said, would Dyche be able to deal with the assets that West Ham have. It's an interesting one. I am starting to turn on David Moyes a little bit because it's, you haven't seen that upturn in performances or structure. And I think that is a problem. So there you go, guys. Some quick fire ripples with your boy Jimbo. We're about to talk to Sam from United People's TV. He's really dived into the research of this ownership. He says it at the start of a lot of his videos where there is nothing bigger than this storyline when it comes to Manchester United. So we're going to talk about the ripple effects of the different runners and riders when it comes to the ownership of Manchester United Football Club. We spoke about a lot there and I really enjoyed that actually. Hopefully you have as well. If you are enjoying the podcast, please do follow the podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and give us a five star rating as well. It massively, massively helps. It's been great that sort of people keep coming back. That's what the sort of feedback I'm getting on the podcast. So if you are one of those people, thank you so, so much. I'm really enjoying this and I'm excited to have more conversations with you guys. Going back to sort of the Gary Lineker 
tweets and the contradictions and all of that put together when i was thinking about it there is a contradiction in terms of gary lineker in terms of he shouldn't have an opinion but he should have an opinion and this quote that i want to end on for this section of the podcast i think fits it perfectly because there are contradictions but sometimes there are things that are a little bit bigger so this is from william paul young this is from a book called the shack i haven't read this book by the way (laughs) but i like the quote so hopefully you'll like it as well and hopefully it gets you thinking when your good and evil clash with your neighbours, fights and arguments ensue, and even wars break out. If there is no reality of good that is absolute, then you have lost any basis for judging. We'll be back right after this. It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home. Right, here we go. I've wanted to do this for a couple of weeks, and we've picked the perfect day. Because Sam Peoples from United Peoples TV, my good friend, is here to chat about a very exciting time for Manchester United on a very exciting day. It's Sam's birthday. So wherever you are right now listening to this, be sure to sing happy birthday. Three cheers for Sam. Hip hip hooray, hip hip hooray, hip hip hooray. So Sam, how are you? As a birthday, pre- as a, as a birthday present, right? Well, I'm going to give you the gift of... As long as you want to push your channel and any platform you like. Bear in mind that uh, the longer you talk, the more you're going to annoy people. So off you go. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I want to say is congratulations to you, James, for having a Spotify original podcast. That's all I need to say. I'm doing my own thing. You're doing your own thing. We're both doing it well. That's all we need to say. Absolutely. That's a very good point. And I, there's a reason why I've chosen yourself or ask yourself sorry that's not as easy as that but you're kind enough to be here on your birthday so happy birthday mate lots of love uh but it, Thank you, mate. you have died you've always been very good at the sort of financial side of man united which is just as well because that's often a, a big part of it and it's a big part of football these days i'm finding i need to educate myself in all of this and also kind of ownership the legal side you're very very good at that and the channel i honestly i i've said it on a few things recently i can't speak highly enough it is the place i go to when i want to understand what's going on in terms of man united the biggest club or one of the biggest clubs in the world being sold this is a huge moment in football history and it's gonna have a lot of ripple effects and we'll talk about the consequences of who could buy it and what happens when they do buy it and if there could yeah. be anyone that might even stick around as well. In terms of it being your birthday, Sam, what would be your birthday wish when it comes to Manchester United and the, the ownership? I, the, when, when, it, when the news first broke, I remember when, I was there at the Liverpool protest uh, and that was when the concept of Jim Ratcliffe and Ineos I was pretty much the only name in the hat because at that point, I think Jim Ratcliffe had, had said that he had spoken to the Glazers um, before, previously, about interest in buying the club. And there was nobody else who would come forward. So anything to do with Qatar or Dubai or anybody else 
was all to come. So at that point, that was when um, the 1958, who are the supporters group, the anonymous supporters group at United who had sort of organised all these protests, that's when the big banner was out at the front of the protest with Sir Jim Ratcliffe saying the, the club is for sale. And we all held the idea. I mean, I called him a Disney owner and I still do because it, the idea of a man who was born 10 miles from Old Trafford, who grew up as a United fan, became Britain's richest man to all of a sudden come back to buy the club. It sounds cliche. It sounds Hollywood, right? It, mm. it, it's same, imagine that same concept going to you as a QPR fan. Someone who, I was born 10 miles from he's a massive QPR fan as a kid, but becomes Britain's richest man. It, it, it's Disney. It's Disney, right? Yeah. Now, obviously, everything's transpired in terms of the the structure of the Ineos deal and obviously the Qatari-based bid that's come forward. There's questions that we're all asking about every single new owner. And I think I've come to realise that there there is no dream owner for Manchester United. Uh, whoever it's going to be, there will be problems with all of them. Uh, and there won't be a perfect owner that, that sort of the whole fan base goes, ah, there you go. Yeah, we made the right choice. Yeah, there that's... will be certain sections that have problems with pretty much every owner. That's so interesting. So let's go back a little bit. Here's a really simple question that I wrote down. Why would anyone buy a football club? And in particular, why would anyone want to buy Manchester United? Do you know why? Oh, man, the amount of, the, the amount of money that someone... With United, right, it's so obvious where the return is going to be. Now, it's going to be a long-term return. It's not, it's not going to be a quick flip. A quick flip. Somebody won't be able to come in at Manchester United, spend X, and then within three years have doubled your money. Like That's Liverpool and Chelsea have. Because. Or wanted to. Exactly. It, we're, we're not a quick flip. It, the, the scale at Manchester United is significantly more. Because the Glazers, have, the Glazers have neglected the infrastructure of the club, we need roughly somewhere in the region of £1.5 to £2 billion worth of infrastructure investments. Into, when when the Glazers bought United back in 2005, Old Trafford was regarded as probably the best stadium in the UK. When Carrington was first re redeveloped, it was considered the best training facilities in the UK. Now, they have second string. They are so far behind all that. If you look at Leicester's new stadium, they just redeveloped they just developed with McLaren. If you look at uh, Anfield's just had, what, two stands developed. It, it, there's new stadiums popping up all over the shop. We're so far behind because of that initial investment that has to come in, 1.5 to 2 bill. It's going to take a good few years for that to return. But the, the return is obvious. If you do invest that, it will be worth a lot more. And the value of United will massively go up as a consequence. So it's easy to see where the money is going to be made, but it's, it's going to take a long time. It's going to take a minute. So well, that's interesting because that, that's that's the thing I, I look at when I'm thinking of Man United is it is a huge outlay just to get your hands on it. Now, when I see Liverpool thinking about selling and looks like they're kind of not selling and I actually believe that that's a bit of a ripple effect of Man United being sold at the same time. I think, you know, the Man United sale is a more appetising one, it seems. And that's probably why that, that Liverpool are sort of taking that step back. But the change that they would have made in terms of buying a club for 300 million and then selling it for what could have been close to 4 billion, let's say, that's, you know, that's a solid little profit. But the next, yeah, next owner has to, has to wait and see. And that's, I think that's the interesting thing. Another thing is someone who kind of understands the finance of it just quickly. It, the bubble of football, does that 
burst at any stage do you think for, for Man United or or any of these big clubs that are spending and spending and spending we've kind of seen the, the detriment that can occur on a, a Barcelona who thought that they were going to be making being the first club to bring in a billion pounds in a in a calendar year and then have gone down the other side of it and are in a, a very difficult position would it ever is the genie out of the bottle and is it a, a case financially that these numbers, the, like the word billion has, has been used so much more in football in the last couple of years. Do you think that's safe in terms of the, the size of it and the amount that can be spent on players because you're going to get it back? Do you think that will continue? Um, I don't know, because if you're looking at right now, Man United's up for sale. Liverpool's up for sale. Chelsea's just been sold. Spurs, they're looking for minority investment. Uh there are so many big clubs currently, in, and well, in, in, if you take this like two, three year period, that are go, all going to change owners. Something clearly has happened in the financial landscape behind the scenes. Like when it comes to Manchester United, I know a lot more about the, the Glazers have just reached a crossroads where they can't spend on the credit card anymore. And it's probably a consequence of, of COVID and the, the knock on effect to that. It's probably a little direct consequence, or not consequence, sorry, shall I say ripple effect of. Um, the European Super League and that collapsing because if the Super League had happened there's no way there's no way that United would be up for sale I'm not sure we'd ever get rid of the Glazers uh, it's just it's I call the play I call the Premier League now a billionaire's playground uh, and we can go and I was going to mention it later in the show but I suppose I can mention it now but <clears throat> if you're talking about ripple effects the original ripple effect was Roman Abramovich and Chelsea and that was that was the beginning of everything uh, everything that's happened since has been a direct consequence of that ownership and how it trans changed the, the transfer landscape, the prices of players, and everything can all be linked back to that. And it's just going up and up and up. If you've seen Nottingham Forest being spending 150 million one summer, Nottingham Forest when they just got promoted, it is it's a, it's a billionaire's playground. You're right there. I I don't know whether the bubble's ever going to burst or whether it already has, but. The amount involved is just, it's mind-boggling, isn't it? Yeah. It really is mind-boggling. And it just seems to be getting more and more. Yeah. And I, I think that's where, we'll get onto this later. Maybe we should come back to it. But I think that there is, a, I'll put the question out there, is, you know, what what is the future of, of this game and the football pyramid? I think that's a big part of it. Because, you know, we, we use that, if we can use that bubble analogy, and you know, I might, sort of destroy it here it feels like that one bubble has kind of had a bubble growing inside of it and and that bubble is all you big guys and that one's starting to pop and fly away do you know what i mean like will it will it sort of be like a house of cards where it it, it kills all the others this is a very strange analogy now where you've got a house of cards stay with me house of cards with a with a bubble on the top and that bubble's getting bigger and it's flying away I think I think I saved it. Right, let's talk about the uh, who could get the gig then. So you spoke about Jim Ratcliffe. So let's talk about the 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 runners and riders. And there are three main ones. Although there are there are a couple that seem to be is there seems to be new contenders. And actually, I guess the, probably the the smarter thing to do is to start with in a couple of sentences. Sam, how do you can you explain to me the phases of how this will come to be and how the owner will be found? Um, <clears throat> so the, the original phase was uh, just basically sh anybody of interest, who anybody who wanted to buy Manchester United had to show their interest with sort of indicative bids saying, look, 
we because at that point Manchester United are a publicly limited company, so access to the year on year accounts have been there since what I don't know. Was it twenty twenty twelve we won it? I can't remember what year we won the New York Stock Exchange. I think it might, it might have been twenty sixteen. Anyway, yeah, tw- so I think twenty twelve publicly I think you're right. available. I think you're right. So there's some publicly available accounts. So you can you can go, mm, okay, right, you've been making X month. How much debt have you got? Mm, okay, we can roughly guess that we're going to be worth about this much. So they had to show their interest there. And that was the first phase. Now, the second phase was when that's when the statement came out from the 9-2 Foundation and uh, Sheikh Jassim bin Hamad Al Thani. I call him JBJ. I've coined that, so it's much easier. We'll call him JBJ from now on. I know you do. I like this. <laughs> So JBJ, we're going with JBJ. That's we're sticking right. with J- we're sticking with JBJ. So that's when that, that statement. How have all- I got through this podcast and not had to say his name once? <laughs> I've done. I've done really. It's my birthday. <laughs> um, so that's when the, they released that statement saying um, we want to return United to the glory years, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And that was when the official. That wasn't really an official because even at that point, it wasn't really an official bid because there was no number associated with that. It was just okay we really want to buy the club and then the same night Ineos put themselves forward as well they're the only two public facing bids and then you've got uh separate bids behind the scenes we can speak about them a little bit later so that's phase one phase two is what it is what we're in now where i think over this week and next week there's going to be representatives from both Ineos bids and the 9-2 foundation going to old trafford and they're going to have presentations given to them by Man United. I think John Murto is going to be leading quite a lot of them. He's director of football. And that's where they're going to try it. Basically, what the Glazers are doing is they want to inflate the price as much as possible. Uh, and they want to, instead of selling it for how much Manchester United is worth now, they're going to make people go, well, we know that if you actually invest the money that we can't, we're going to be worth a lot more. So you need to give us a little it's, bit of that. And that's where the negotiations yeah. are going to be. It's a little bit like... Uh, doing a sort of house viewing and and making sure that everyone sort of comes at the same time so they can see each other and go well look this one looks like it's going to go pretty quick here guys so you you need to put in the best offer that you've got it's try essentially it's a fair thing to it's a obvious thing to do in terms of trying to have that competitive tension in terms of the asset that they have and actually, I think you had uh, Ben Jacobs on your channel and mm-hmm. I thought he made a really interesting point where the, the sort of uh, the lack of investment, uh, yet, and the fact that Man United still bring in so much money, it's bizarrely is a paradox where it it means that no, this is I know we've not spent any money on the stadium and all these things, but look what it could be, and so that somehow then inflates the price. That's an amazing <laughs> consequence of bad ownership. Yeah. They are they are either very lucky or very jabby the Glazers <laughs> when it comes to this and and all the 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 sort of uh disgust towards them the more I look into it the more I'm like yeah I get it so then uh so how how will it end well, well how will you get to the you know the final the the victor I think um you can look at the Chelsea sale and pretty much kind of follow the process that happened there because the rain group uh were the banking firm, I don't know what they're called, a banking firm, uh, that Chelsea brought in to make that sale happen. And the Glazers have hired the same company. It's the Rain Group who are leading it. So I think at the end of stage two is when the actual formal bids will go in, whether that's four and a half billion, whether that's five billion, uh, we'll find out in the goodness of time. And at that point, I think you enter the period of exclusivity. That's when a preferred 
bidder is chosen by the rain group and the glazers and it will come down to that final negotiation that final set of negotiations and at that point you would then complete the sale i don't know what the ins and outs of completing a billion pound sale would actually be but i think at the end of the second stage is where that period of exclusivity comes through so whether that's ineos whether that's um the 92 foundation or whether that's one of the other minority investment hedge funds who are offering finance one of them will probably get that period of exclusivity and that's when it will probably become a little bit more public and then we'll know who the likely new owner of united is and so do you think by the summer we will have a new owner of manchester united I'd be surprised if we didn't because it's it suits the Glazers as well. Uh, if you're looking at Man United uh, and you look at how the markets reacted, uh, as soon as the com, as soon as the stories came out around the bid from uh, Qatari bid, the the share price went it it flew up. I think it went up to a highest it's been since I look back at it. I think when we had Solskjaer and we beat we knocked PSG out. I think that was the last time that the it's the only time that the bid that the share price has reached around twenty six dollars, and then in the last week or week and a half or so, where the stories have come out about all oh, the Glazers actually might not sell, it's tanked again and it's lost about another twenty thirty percent of its value. So it's an art, it's artificially high right now, and the Glazers know full well that there is that United as a, as a value now won't go up anymore. That so the longer they hold on to it, the lesser that the least the, the less the less the lower they'll be able to sell it for. Okay, so depreciation is coming, it sounds like. So, guys, uh, yeah. listen up, and I'll go through some, uh, just to give you a bit more context on some of these guys. So, Jim Ratcliffe, he's one of the uh, only, obviously, these few bidders here. Manchester United uh, fan. Um, he's going to be doing it through his comp- company, Ineos. Ineos is a global chemical company. Uh, this basically means that they're an oil and gas company, which brings a whole new meaning to the phrase of oil and money. Uh, Ineos already has ties to sport as the principal partner of uh, former F1 top boys, Mercedes AMG. They also own uh, French League and team Nice, as well as Swiss Super League club Lausanne. And Ineos also owns a cycling team, uh, the Ineos Grenadiers, which is formerly Team Sky. So Ratcliffe, born in Oldham, has gone on record saying that he was a Man United fan, as Sam explained in the past. His personal worth is estimated at somewhere around 11 billion, according to Forbes. Ineos makes about 50 billion a year in sales. And Ratcliffe also made a £4.25 billion bid for Chelsea last year. You'll remember there was, I think Dan Roan did an interview with him, didn't he, on BBC, uh, which was unsuccessful, which I think suited Jim because he's now obviously wants this one because he is a Man United fan, firstly. Next up, you've got, uh, we were saying it, I'm, oh, look, I'm going to have to say it now, it's only right, isn't it? Sheikh Jassim bin Hamid Al Thani, which is, uh, what are we saying, JBJ, aren't we? QSH, QSI, <laughs> uh, this purchase will be through the 92 Foundation. Sam was talking about 92 Foundation, so if you don't know what that means, that's, if you hear 92 Foundation, we're talking about JBJ, uh, which is different to the one that owns Paris Saint Germain. This is, again, we're going to, I think this is the question I'm leading to is that what's interesting here is yeah. the, the sort of double ownership here. But just to continue with this context for you guys. Now, the uh, legalities of this and the double ownership are yet to be looked at uh, as it stands. Apparently, it's OK. Um, JBJ has been described as a lifelong Man United fan as well. He is chairman of the Qatari Bank, QIB. So if you hear QIB, that's what that means. And is the son of former Prime Minister of Qatar. PSG president is set to be a key figure in any Qatari ownership, even if he could 
have no direct involvement, which is something that makes it feel a little bit murky. Now, the UEFA rules, the reason I wanted to put forward these two, and I guess the third, the third party in this is the Glazers, which we, we will certainly get to. But there's a quote here, and it's from BBC Sport. Now, because of the UEFA rules that prevent multi-club ownership, any Qatari bid by United in its entirety would have to come through private individuals or a different organization. So with two team ownership, both of these bidders both of these bidders own a club already. So yeah. this is an area where the consequences are feel messy and will I think inevitably under come under quite a lot of scrutiny. But there are other examples of this already. You know, they've got the Red Bull owned teams, RB Leipzig and Salzburg both play in the Champions League, but their ownership is separate enough, supposedly. What, how much do you know about RB Leipzig and Salzburg? And does that, does that facilitate these two bidders and the ability to, to have different clubs? Because Red Bull, you've also obviously got New York Red Bulls. Uh, there's, I think there's one in Australia, isn't there, as well? Like there's, this isn't new in terms of people, you know, a, some form of company or entity owning more than one club. So if that happens with you guys, especially one at the Qatar bid with JBJ and PSG, that feels a little bit too close, doesn't it? Look, man, they, they are going to have the best lawyers in the world. They are going to have the best structure. It's all about structure. That's all it's going to be in terms of... The, that with the the JBJ bid and with Nine Two Foundation, they've got precedent on two different levels. The precedent of Leipzig and Salzburg both playing in the Champions League, and UEFA going, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, they're separate enough. All right, cool. So that shows them, like, cool. Okay, so you can have you can own two clubs in the same competition, and UEFA can be fine. Let's go and have a look at what they've done. Let's mirror that. Easy. That's probably not that difficult a situation to resolve. And then you look at the, in, from a Premier League perspective, uh, the fit and proper owners model test, whatever they call it, which, let's be honest, is, is a bit of a joke anyway. The Glazers should yeah. never be allowed to buy Manchester United in the actual first place. That test in itself has never been as stringent. You've got the white paper coming out, which is supposed to be bringing more, um, I don't know, more, more scrutiny, more, more stringent rules, which, yeah. which it, it, it's, need, it's needed. But then you look at public investment fund from Saudi Arabia buying Newcastle last year and the chair if I think anyway I think the chairman of the public investment fund is Mohammed bin Salman and still the Premier League were like ah it's fine there's enough if, if they found enough separation there <laughs> I don't think that any sort of 9-2 foundation would struggle with this bit and that's why they've chosen JBJ to be the man to lead it I think he's the, the, the former prime minister's son it's actually private wealth coming from it from his his dad who is the former prime minister there's no direct links to cure look you can find the links i guarantee the links aren't going to be that hard to find because ultimately in that in in that state no one's spending five billion without the emir going yeah all right cool yeah, yeah. <laughs> no one's doing that that's, that's just not how it works <laughs> so of course there are going to be links but it's again, if you're looking at ripple effects, they've allowed the creation of multi club models. Man City have got it, uh, Red Bull have got it, and I'm sure there are others that I can't think of the top of my head. This is just a ripple effect of that, and it's, it, it's the billionaire's playground. And is there anything you can do to stop it? Well, I don't know. It feels like that should have already 
happened. Well, this is the thing. I think it's really interesting. The because you know when we're talking about those consequences, you know this this these bidders uh, occur and their their ability to have you know double ownership and we're stopping. Are we stopping at double now? Like this could lead to it being two and no more. But actually, the RB Leipzig, if that is the first one, I think it's probably Man City will probably possibly before that. Actually, I don't know to be fair. But whoever was first. We've with the powers that be have not. It's this is my problem with all of this, mate. Is the fact that once it's once it's kind of started and the ball's rolling, it feels like it. it there's no way of getting of stopping the ball rolling, right? And so for Man United, it's funny you kind of you're you're able to sort of wash yourselves clean because well look they're doing it and they're doing it and they're doing it. So you know how does it how does it stop and because you're you're wasting your time you're you're right in what you're saying in terms of because i think the truth is that leipzig and salzburg they even play the exact same way like you can't you can't be doing that but you obviously you would do if you were to have that ownership but mm-hmm. from your point of view it's easy to point the finger at the past because it then kind of validates the present and for me in this podcast and the concept of it what I find interesting is then what at what point do you give up or, or at what point and I don't think it's for you to give up There's, we'll get on to sort of the, how it works for the fans but the powers that be have to use that word they have to use their power to find a way and you talk about that white paper that's come out which I thought was felt meek to me yeah. felt weak to me as well I'm just sort of, I'm sort of at a loss a little bit. And when I sort of, because so how do you fit like the ripple effect of either of those two ownerships? You kind of said it at the start. How are you feeling? Because I think it does. That's the whole reason why we like football, isn't it? Because of how it makes us feel. How are you feeling about, about the fact that there is that, that could be that double ownership and how would you feel moving <coughs> forward if it was the Qataris, for example, and because Nice, like Nice, that's a feeder club for you. But PSG, yeah. they're right alongside you, even if it is structurally different. Do you think it would continue to be that? How would you frame it in your mind? Um, I don't particularly see the idea of anything. I don't particularly see it being a problem uh, in terms of how I perceive Manchester United. If this Qatari private bid comes in, I, I don't. I think PSG and United will. I don't really think there'll be any sort of connection. I think as far as the Qatari will consider it, they're just two completely separate things and they will be kept separate maybe until we draw and we face PSG. The, th- the thing I've had to sort of deal with, and I, I know you've mentioned it uh, down there as one of your questions and maybe we'll speak about it later anyway, but there's the bigger conversation for United fans is we're, we've spent, I don't know, what was it, 2008 the City got taken over. Like fourteen years, like arguing against it, of like at, at, at the core of our club, arguing against it. It's we've uh, when the Glazers came in, there was a, a breakaway of United fans that went and started the FC United of Manchester because that's how much they hated the Glazers and, and how how much they disagreed with it. It's going to be a huge part of United, maybe not a huge part. I don't know what percentage to put on it, but there's a where it's it's crap. Like United fans don't want to be in this position. We really genuinely do not want to be in this position. But it is the, the the 14 year ripple, whatever you want to call it. 
And that's the position we find ourselves in because the Glazers were allowed to buy Manchester United, because Roman Abramovich went in and bought Chelsea. It's created the context for the circumstances we now find ourselves where there really aren't going to be that many people that have like two billion just to come in the door. That's mm. what it is at United. Like it's stupid. It, it's crap. And um, the, I think the when we were first linked with Dubai rather than Qatar, actually, in terms of them being interested in buying United, I spoke with um, Nicholas McGeehan because I had spoken to him previously. Now he works with Fair Square, which is a human rights charity. And did you see the? Um, there was a story that came out. I think it was a couple of weeks ago, um, where the government were asked, Fair Square released a statement asking the government to block any, I think the Premier League or the, or the government to block any sort of potential Qatari takeover. So I've spoken to Nicholas previously and it was just like a half an hour chat where I said to him, I, I've, I don't want to, but I think I've realised that United at this point, I'd be very surprised if it wasn't a Middle Eastern takeover sure. because of just the numbers involved. And we, as I said, there, there is no Disney owner. There, there, there won't be a perfect owner. But when we're looking at Qatar and we're looking at the World Cup and we're looking at all the sort of scrutiny that happened there, uh, we've got like a moral obligation, I think. Anyway, everyone does. To apply that same level of scrutiny to any takeover bit of United. You can't just go, oh, all right, we're going to buy Mbappe. Well, for, all right, we'll just forget about everything else. No, you can't do that because mm. football clubs are a community institutions. They, they represent generations of families <clears throat> both in manchester and out of manchester and it's got a far deeper meaning than just watching a uh, watching somebody play on the pitch uh, yeah. and we've, we've we've got to take that into account and it is shit it is i wish it hadn't have reached this stage and football's just, uh, and it's it's not just old bloke moaning but football it's kind of easy to become a bit more disconnected you know it, with football these days it, it, what it is is it's it's local bloke moaning like, because I think this is the problem here. It's not. I'm not. But no, you're local enough. You're local enough. Like, and and it's not. I'm not trying to create an us and them. But I think the fact is, is that there is the local fan and and how you are affected and why you were there, and there is the global fan. And when I say global fan, I am not saying it means any less. I really like what to make that very clear. But the 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 effect on you is different. It it has to be when you're when you're the other side of the world in terms of you know of of literally the day to day elements of it the tangible what you can see and the bottom line is from the people and the powers that be is that losing what could happen here a ripple effect of this for me is that you will lose Man United fans legacy fans if we if we want to call them that right you will lose those yeah. fans because they will get to a line and go I can't. This is you're not bothered about me anymore because they're not. They're bothered about quantity. And it's not about I'm not going to use the word quality because, I, again, when you're an Australian fan, you're getting up at four in the morning to watch watch the Premier League. That's something I'm not doing. So you, like those fans care massively, but that there is not a true desire to facilitate and appease legacy fans, I don't think. And that's the th bottom line because you could lose, you could lose 60, let's say you lose 60% of your legacy fans, which you won't do. You'd lose 3%, right? But let's say you lost 60%. But if you get four more percent globally, that's, that's five times the 60%. So that's the, that's the really, that's, that's where I have just huge empathy for 
the Man United fans that want it to feel right because it's very, very difficult. And coming back to that two-club ownership, we've heard Todd Bowley talk about, well, like, flippantly, well, we need to have clubs around the world. That's the next, that is the next stage of this because I think if you're through the door as well, everyone wants to do it anyway. I think it will be a guarantee that you essentially do start to have these just mega brands that have six, seven clubs in every, one club in every continent. That will be the, the future of it. We still have so much to talk about. It's getting passionate. Stick around. We'll be back after this. <laughs> Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Want to be more active this summer? Sierra helps you save on everything from swimsuits to stand-up paddle boards, tennis rackets to fishing tackle. And if that doesn't float your boat, we also have pool floats. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Right, guys, we're back. And I've got a load of quick-fire questions that we might have to go through because there's just so many areas here the fans which i think we've touched on a little bit and um, what this could mean on the pitch remember football do you remember that <laughs> do you remember the game uh, yeah yeah <laughs> super league remember the game as well remember winning and losing football games do you remember, do you remember enjoying goals <laughs> no that was uh, yeah VAR ruined that <laughs> yeah that's let's not again that's not the ownership thing that's VAR, and of course the club itself but let's talk about the glazers we need to put some time uh, aside for that because it felt like and it feels like there is still a genuine desire, I think, for the Glazers to generally sell. But there are, we use the word Glazers as plural for a reason, right? Because you've got co-chairman Avram Glazer, who was at the Carabao Cup final, which fueled speculation that the family may still attempt to retain some element of ownership. However, apart from brother and fellow co-chairman Joel, the other four Glazers are thought to be lukewarm in terms of carrying on. Why would what would be the ripple effect of those two sticking around for them and for you? I really genuinely don't want to entertain the idea, but for the purpose of this conversation, I will. Uh, Joel and Avram Glazer, uh, they can see that idea that if this money is invested into the club, it's, it's obvious how much more United will be worth. And they're like, I want that. I I, I don't want to. I want that. And when you say I want that, you're saying because for those who don't know, the Glazers have leveraged the club on debt and through that they have made profit. People talk about the debt, but they have made like significant profit, haven't they? To to summarise, I'm glad that for, for so many years... United fans have been arguing against the Glazers and everyone's been looking at us. When we, were, when we had Fergie, it was like, well, you're still winning, so shut up. Like, you've got nothing to complain about. And then when we're spending a billion between Fergie retiring and now, shut up, you're spending so much money on transfers. Like, you have nothing to complain about. And the entire way through, like, oh, can you just piss off? Like, it's, it's, it's completely ignoring the truth. And 
to sum it up in 30 seconds, this is, this is the core of it. They bought the club for 750 mil, right, in, two, in 2005. 250 million of that was their own money. 550, or there or thereabouts, was a, was a loan from the bank that they leveraged against their own other assets. Fast forward 17 years to now, that original debt is now more than it was originally. The debt now is more than it was in 2005. And in those 17 years, Man United have spent around about £1.2 billion worth on paying interest. Imagine you had a student loan and for 17 years you've been paying interest on it and it was 1.2 bill. So a serious loan if you're paying 1.2 bill. But your student loan is the exact same as it was 17 years ago. You'd be like, oh, for fuck's sake, really? Where's all that money gone? And all that yeah. money that's gone has come out of Manchester United's books. It's never, it's never been the Glazers' money. They've never gone into their own pocket, pulled 20 quid out and gone, you know, use this. They've used the club's money. Let's chip yeah. away at this. Yeah, That's yeah. been the issue, and it's, it's reached its point. And, and, and they've taken that money and put it in their pocket. Yep. They've been paying. The only club to have taken dividends, I think, 130 mil. There is a just, there is just reason upon reason upon reason upon reason as to why they are abysmal owners. So, so they would want to stick around. Two of them might want to stick around because, with other investment, the club will still get bigger, and that they would still be able to take dividends. Is that why they would want to stick around? Uh, that bit I don't really understand. Ultimately, uh, I mean, they are crap businessmen, right? They really are. They've they've got the golden egg, right? Malcolm, their dad, bought Man United, and it really was the golden golden egg, golden goose. It's a golden goose more than a golden egg. I think I've got that one wrong, <laughs> but. Uh, because they, they, there was always going to be one. There she is, right? <laughs> There's always one, Samism. For those of you who know, you know. <laughs> There's always one. But that, that's exactly what they've got. And what I don't understand now is if you think about this from a logical perspective, they've been taking dividends of 20 mil per year, right? And they're at the point now where they might get a sale of somewhere in the region of four to five billion pounds. Straight cash money in your bank. I don't know how the maths are. 20, but 20 mil <laughs> into 4 billion, that's a lot of years of dividends that you've got to wait for. Like, now is the time for them to cash out, go, there you go, we've nailed it. We've got so, they, that, that's, that, that's the ultimate sucker punch for all of this. After everything they've done, they are going to walk away with billions upon billions in profit. Yeah, there's no, there's no victory in that, is, that, is there? At no, all? Really. That's the sort of heartbreaking thing. Okay, so I guess moving forward then, Let's look to the future and what, what the ripple effects will be on different areas of football. First of all, the club. So with no Glazer tax, how much money do you think Man United could spend? I was looking into their FFP or, or trying to, and it seems as though they are sort of sailing pretty close to the wind when it comes to that because of the lack of money that's come from player sales. And that was why, partly due to the you know changing of the guard, all being well for Man United, as, as well as anything else that's why it was about it, sorry as well as ffp that's why the loan market was used instead of spending money it was actually more about ffp than anything else because they'd overspent in the summer when it if you'll remember they were trying to keep it cheap and go for arnautovic and then realized now nah, let's let's figure this out properly spent a little yeah. bit of money on casemiro so but with that glazer tax if you take that away do does this mean that man united can spend 800 million every single year because of the revenue that they're able to bring in like what what does the future look like from that point of view no the um they've restructured ffp massively i think it was last year and they brought in like three new different pillars of it it's like sustainability um 
uh, they've brought in a new like player player wage to revenue uh, ratio, which is basically I think in a few years' time it means that I think you can only spend like seventy percent of your club's revenues uh, there or thereabouts. It, it's, That's it's right. something so along new, those lines. Like, yeah. So I've got it. So new rules dictating that clubs must not spend over 70 percent of their turnover on wages transfers and agent fees have begun uh, being phased in from the start of 2023 so for those of you for an example qpr people kind of we somehow despite not spending that much money because our because our revenue is quite low we are still spending more than um, more than our overall revenue on wages and a lot of clubs are. And amazingly, despite us making twenty-four million pounds worth of debt last year, we we were okay. I was listening to a podcast, and someone was saying, "Well, that's not too bad. Twenty-four million worth of debt um, because we hadn't we hadn't sold any players. So one, getting the Champions League, but two, selling players is actually a really important part of all of it. And Man United haven't done that that much so that's why they are sort of getting quite close to it so there would still be those those areas um but man united i think the 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 important thing would be that you would certainly be able to spend more in in time because the revenue you know there wouldn't be people creaming off the top would there it's it's basically manchester united need to become a far more sustainable business uh and the uh, Ed Woodward famously said, "Ah, oh, you know, on the pitch activity isn't a, it doesn't affect our ability off the pitch." And it was it was a blind faced lie at the time, and now you're really seeing the consequence of that because we haven't been setting players properly. We've just been spending, spending, spending. We spent in the money the money in the summer on the credit card, and uh, because of these new again, if you're talking about the reasons why now is the Glazers selling, I've talked I've talked about the Super League collapsing, talked about the consequences of COVID. These are new FFP rules coming in. They can't just spend on the credit card anymore. We've uh, our commercial growth as a club since 2016 completely flatlined. Ed Webber was always like praised as, "Oh, look, he's a commercial genius." Uh, but up until 2016, you could argue that, but it's completely and utterly gone since then. And that's now biting United. I think last three years we've lost. Our losses have been like 200 million in the last three years, and there's a limit on what losses are allowed inside these new FFP rules. I think we're right on the edge of it. So this summer, mm. United will be selling players. Like I imagine you'll probably see Harry Maguire is definitely going to be sold. And I reckon we'll get good money for him. And I think he'll probably go on to be a good Premier League centre-back at another club. But it won't be at United. Uh, and there'll be quite a lot. This is where finally, it's what City got right. You can, you can, you can be angry about the money that... Went Chelsea to, too, right? Yeah. Well, I don't know how it works at Chelsea. Nothing makes sense at Chelsea. Of, of ev- everywhere, nothing makes sense at Chelsea. Well, that's the it does. So Chelsea, see this difference in terms of change of ownership is that 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 debt got swallowed by Abramovich, so all that debt was wiped off. So the new owners come in, they're allowed to spend all that money, and Chelsea have been able to um, sell more assets than Man United have as well. So that balance sheet looks a little bit better. Then you add into the fact the amortization of it all. And that's how they've been able to go ridiculous. But Man United won't be able to do that when when they make that change. Mm. Uh, the debt will have to be sort of taken, gobbled up by the owner themselves. But uh, the difference is, I guess, if it's the Qataris, is that it's just 
they have so much money it's just never a problem so a big thing for man united fans and another frustration when it comes to the glazers the lack of investment in the sort of youth structure but most importantly the training ground and old trafford itself that is an open goal for any new owner so that will you would imagine be a ripple effect for people with general unlimited wealth to be able to sort that out and get the fans on side i think that would actually be an expected tap in under the next uh, next owner because that money doesn't get put into your ffp so that's important to say and so if you do see that in terms of being able to spend money if it is something that's kind of virtuous like that something that's kind of uh, paying back into the the community if you look at man man city and now they probably did a lot of this prior to real ffp but for man united if they want to spend that money on that they can do and that's not going to hurt them in terms of that first six months of a new owner sam what would you love to see um it's it's got nothing to do with spending really if if i'm going to be if i'm looking at the city model and the thing that they got right it's bringing the right people in to work for that club but that's the that's the reason they've the money has been um a facilitator of the success at city but ultimately it's because they got the right board of the, they got they got the right board structure in from day one and therefore they had the smart people in the right positions leading everything and that's how they've built quite an envious uh, football club from a from a board perspective and at united we've just not had that even john murto coming in as director of football kind of got promoted from within we've still never had like a, a paul mitchell type structure somebody who actually is a, a, a he takes ownership of the transfers and if you look at how bad united have been in the transfer market that's we've, we spend so much and we get so little back from selling players it's just we've got the right manager finally right finally united fans can say that with real confidence we've got the right man in charge of our football club from a footballing perspective now let's get the right people in charge of our football club from an actual control perspective behind the scenes that's what we need in the first six months for the league itself do would you and do you think you speak for a lot of man united fans when i say that for the league itself would you welcome tighter constraints on the the sort of the top clubs and their ability to spend because i think that's probably a slight frustration for newcastle united fans where you've got you've got the golden ticket and chelsea are able to do it and man city are able to do it and now newcastle united aren't able to do it do you is that something that you would want and you think the fans would want because i so i'm hoping and you know me ever the optimist i'm actually hoping that something like this and the another one you know another billionaire with unlimited wealth wants to come in and wants to be able to spend as much as possible i think would that i I would hope that that would lead to a sort of cramping of the ceiling at the top in terms of the amount that that people can spend i i expect that to be a strong ripple effect from this because billions is enough (laughs) and for the premier league in particular you know it, it sort of bleeds into the super league as well where you know on the front page of the the handbook it's very clear that you're the Premier League clubs after what happened last time, they cannot legally go into a, a Super League. So if that's the case, then they the Premier League have an element of power in terms of retaining the quality of the league. And so with that in mind, their focus, and as someone who I used to work for the Premier League, what was really always interesting was that they weren't they weren't too bothered about the top six. They were actually fighting for the other fourteen. 
because they needed to keep those guys happy because they're all as important to each other when they're making these d- different decisions. As one of the haves as opposed to one of the have-nots, do you think Man United fans will be okay with a ripple effect of this and of another you know, state ownership if it was to be the Qataris? Do you think they would welcome tight constraints? I think for, for United fans personally... It'll be, it'll be like the horse has already bolted. It's like, well, we told you about this a long time ago and you didn't really care back then. But it's a case if you can't say that two wrongs make a right. You do need tighter constraints. You do need tighter controls. Like Newcastle last year literally just got taken over by the public investment fund whose chairman is Mohammed bin Salman. And they were like, eh, that's, that's, no, it's ne- there's nothing wrong with that, lads. But there obviously was. It completely and utterly was. But they didn't care. They have to have tighter... They needed tighter controls. They needed tighter constraints when United were bought in 2005. We're talking in 2023 and we're still having the same conversation. They haven't learnt yet, but it's going to reach a point where they've invited so many billionaires into their playground that they won't control the playground anymore. And the Premier League will not be controlled by the Premier League. It's going to be controlled by the people they've invited into their house. So do you do you expect them to move and move quickly to 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 try and ring fence it even I more so or I, is it what or is it the opposite of what you just said there you know do you think it actually the the monster's got too big No I think they I think they have I think that's why when the um when the white paper was they've kind of forced that white paper through a little bit quicker I think they're kind of crapping themselves a bit I think they know that they need regulation they're like they're going to the government knocking the door could you please it's uh, we i know i know i know it's our fault i know we created this but it's kind of getting a bit out of our control can you give us some sort of government regulation can you just give us some politics help please mm. we need it we need it yeah i i mean i i hope that is the case i would be intrigued to see what the relationship with the likes of real madrid and barcelona is if when this ownership changed because i think that is the i think what's a bit dangerous i guess is to sort of with the Ineos beard, you kind of go, oh, he's the white guy. I know what he looks like. So, yeah, go on, he can come in. He'll, he'll do right by us. I think it's very, very dangerous to suggest, you know, to say that that's the way it is and should be. And it's understandable, you know, people kind of roll their eyes sometimes at that the Qatari state and having that unlimited wealth. But I would be intrigued to see how they would, how they would want to play the game when it is that playground, do they want it to go, well, no, actually, I want to win on merit. They want it to, like, yes, I'll have every advantage, but I want to win that way as well. It'll be interesting to see how they feel and what this means for Real Madrid, Barcelona and the other leagues as well. Final couple of questions here then, Sam, because if yeah. you were to predict who you think's going to get it, who do you think will get it? And how will it play out at the end? What would be your prediction? I'd be amazed if it, if it, didn't, uh, if it wasn't won by JBJ and 9-2. I'd be amazed if, if if it doesn't go to them. I think they would have found a reason to block it from happening. Uh, that's the only, it, in my sense, in, in my head anyway. Because if you compare the bids, uh, the JBJ bid is just cash only. It's straight up cash. And they do have the ability to increase that by 500 mil, by a bill if necessary. Um, Ineos and Sir Jim Ratcliffe, they will have a lower ceiling. Because... They're looking at it from a different perspective. They are a business. Like Ineos is a business and they need to be making profit and lo- not loss, but they, they need to have that balance far more than, than the sort of um, 
than JBJ in nine two does. So in my opinion, I'd be very surprised if he goes anywhere apart from there. But uh, I'll be honest, like covering this covering this whole thing since November, it, we've we've waited nearly two decades for it as United fans, and it's it's just crazy. It really is just crazy covering this, and even even I don't really know where it's where it's going to go. And ultimately, the Glazers are so greedy they would sell they would sell the club to the devil if they got an extra quid for it. They wouldn't. They don't care about who it goes to. They don't care about it going into the right hands. They just want the biggest possible check. So that has to be taken into account as well. It's um, it's just the highest bidder, and that's why you can't really look past uh, the Nine Two Foundation. Mm. I've got. We've got to talk about the football for a second. We'll finish with a question on that because I think that's. I want to always come back with that because I think this feeling of cognitive dissonance that I shouldn't be feeling. I don't. I don't care. But I kind of do care because it's for the good of, good of the game. And I, I don't envy you that, like that difficulty of, of dealing with all of that stuff. And for all Man United fans as well. But on the pitch, there is always that excitement of, of being able to kind of utilise your potential. So if we're having a bit of fun in the summer and there's going to be those changes, like you say, I think you've got the right manager now and he's made a couple of nice, nice buys. Who are some of the sort of... Uh, who survives the summer or oh, sorry who doesn't survive the summer and what are some of the dream signings that you would like or, or would expect them to to strengthen do you think they'd go big i think it kind of feels like with the ffp they actually can't can't go too big but it, but if there were certain areas and players that you could go for who would you who would you want to go for i i think it's, it 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 feels quite obvious and i think that's probably the best thing that united fans can say we're we're not looking at this summer going. Oh man, we need like oh, we need like seven or eight players. We need to get rid of. You, there's probably quite a lot you can get rid of. But in terms of what United need in the summer, we need a number nine. We need another central midfielder, and you could argue we need a goalkeeper. And that's kind of a debate which United fans are currently going through in the evolution of our football team. But it's it's going to be expensive. Like the goals, goal scores, right? They should be the most expensive players in the world. They're the ones that win your games, right? And United are going to have to probably spend. 100 mil on signing someone like Harry Kane or Victor Osserman. That's a given. We need another central midfielder. You take Casemiro out of our team, we look like bums by comparison. <laughs> like we are we're just a different football team. It, it's, it's ridiculous the amount of control and influence he has on this team uh, in a positive way. But we need another one. And in terms of people leaving, the th- this is the thing that is one of the biggest things that we've got wrong over the last 10 years is we have been so crap at selling players. Like, I think Dan James sending him to Leeds was like the 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 third or the fourth most profit we've we've made on, on selling a player, and it was just it, it just it just didn't make any sense. We are so bad at it. Well, it's although weirdly, that one example we, we, you did we, really well. Like you got way too much money than you probably should have. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true enough. But but this summer you're you're looking at Harry Maguire. We're going to make a big loss on him, but he he should be going. Given his experience, given his international experience, you should be looking at somewhere like probably around 40 million for Harry Maguire to somebody in the Premier League. And I think he'll go on and be a very good centre-back there. It just doesn't work in this system. Um, You could be looking at Donny van der Beek. You could be looking at Alex Tellez. You might be looking at Scott McTominay. The good thing about Eric Ten Hag is that he's only been here for seven, eight months. There is no emotional sentiment linked with any players. He's just judging by what he's seeing. And are you good enough for my system? You're not? All right, cool. Thanks for trying, but going to shift you on now. Mm. And United have got to be better in that, in terms of this sustainability over the next few years. We've got to start making money from setting players. 
and not just holding on to them until they're not really worth anything anymore. And we've done that so often. Okay. Sam, just to reiterate, happy birthday, my love. You are an amazing person and a fantastic Mate. creator. Nice. You that you're honestly the channel is flying rightly so and not through luck through real real quality and a desire to have quality and do the research and i think you say it sometimes with your videos you go if you got value from this video consider subscribing it really does provide value and i've really enjoyed uh, having a chat here today so guys united people's tv go and check it out okay if you haven't already but you probably have because you're smart enough but if you haven't you better hurry quick go um just before you go though Make sure you check out the other episodes of The Ripple Effect and follow us on Spotify and give us a five-star review. Uh, we really, really appreciate it. Sam, is there anything else you would like to say before we go? It's good to chat again. It is, it's, been, it's been a long time since we were in the, the lovely, the lovely cosy offices in Victoria, what we all consider the halcyon days of, uh, of working inside an office environment. But who cares about offices anymore? Eh? Mm. You can work from home. Yeah, you're, you're probably naked right now from the, from the trousers down. And no one knows. Oh, yeah. no, one, no one needs to know. Yeah. It's the beauty of it, right? Yeah, that's it. The uh, different kind of ripple effect. I mean, you might not be. Yeah. <laughs> so, guys, uh, as I said, <laughs> get involved with the pod. Go and get involved with United People's TV. Have a cracking week. And we'll see you next time on The Ripple Effect.